1: Hello and welcome to the Situation Report today. Glad to have you joining me. This is the show where we do our very best to give you the information and perspectives you need to navigate an ever changing culture. Glad to have you joining me. My name is Jeremy Stonicker. I'm your host today. And today I am going to begin a two part series. I don't normally do a two part series or an any part series, but today, two part series. Um, on two connected issues, both found in one amendment to our Constitution, I'm going to talk about two different things that are connected and ask the question, why are these important? Is there a limit to how they should be used or how they should be viewed? Where do they come from? And what can we take from this discussion to help us navigate forward? Again, we do our best to provide perspectives, information but also perspectives that help us to navigate an ever-changing culture. And I wanted to spend a few minutes just talking about these issues because they are so important. And as we look at an ever-changing culture, as we consider what's happening in our culture, these two issues are issues that if misunderstood, misused, misapplied, then we are going to uh, be in worse trouble than we are right now. And uh, I'll start off right at the beginning by saying I'm not a historian. I don't have letters behind my name. It's just my name. Um, I'm educated in that. I read books. That's about what I do, and I would encourage you to do the same. Uh, But I do love history. I love the historical context for our country. I love going back to the founders and trying to understand what they meant when they wrote the words that we say we hang on to in the Declaration, in our Constitution. We could look at uh, the Federalist Papers. We're going to talk about James Madison for a minute today. Um, All of these things. I'd like to go back to that, understand where the origin story of the United States was, and then try, at least in my mind, with the help of others, to connect that to what we're living through today. Uh, So there are other perspectives, is what I'm trying to say. There are other people who are um, experts in this field. I'm not one of them, but I believe that we must have discussions like this one, about issues like these, if we're going to move forward in a helpful way. Today, I want to begin this two-part series by talking about the freedom of speech. I have right here uh, my pocket Constitution, maybe you can see that. If you're watching, you can see that a little Constitution there. It's actually the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, along with the Bill of Rights. Uh, this is produced by Hillsdale College. They send these out for free. If you want one, connect with Hillsdale, and uh, they'll send you one. Every American should read the Constitution. But when we read the Constitution, we know that it was written, and then there were some amendments made to it. We're going to talk about the process of the amendments here in just a minute. But amendment number one in the uh, the Bill of Rights, what we call the Bill of Rights, ratified on December fifteenth, seventeen 1791, reads this way. This is the First Amendment to our Constitution. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people, peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. That's all contained in the First Amendment to the Constitution, the very first amendment in our Bill of Rights. Um, Today, I'm going to talk about freedom of speech. Then we will, the next episode, will be a conversation around uh, the freedom of religion, as we have phrased it. Uh, But in Amendment 1 of the Constitution, what we see is an amendment protecting the rights of citizens to express themselves. If we were to sum it up very, very simply, uh, again, it goes back to uh, Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion. So religion, there is a free exercise thereof or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech. People can speak freely or of the press. Uh, The press that represents us and communicates stories about what's happening uh, must not be restricted or the right of the people peaceably to assemble. Again, this is kind of us collectively putting our voices together over some issue and to petition the government for redress of grievances. So all of these are found in the First Amendment to the Constitution, and all of them reflect our ability and the government's responsibility to protect our ability to express ourselves. Um, These are very, very important. As we think about uh, what we call cancel culture and uh, look at what's happening in our culture, we've talked about this on this show so many different times. Uh, a lot of different examples I could give, but we look specifically to things like uh, the conversation around gender that's happening right now. As you know, our friend Mike Lindell has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of your life. He didn't stop by simply creating the best pillow. Now, Mike has done it again by introducing his My Slippers. For a limited time, you will save $90 on a pair of My Slippers. This blowout sale of the year won't last, so order now. Mike has taken two years to develop the My Slippers, and they are designed to wear both indoor and out all day long. Made with MyPillow foam and impact gel to help prevent fatigue, they are also made with quality leather suede. Call 1-800-870-0283, use the promo code SITREP, or go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, and use promo code SITREP. This offer will not last long, so order now with promo code SITREP at MyPillow.com. For generations, since the beginning of time, we have accepted uh, that there are two genders. There are male and there are female. The Bible talks about this. Uh, Culturally, we have always accepted this. But now we are at a time where even language is changing to accommodate not just the male and female genders, but multiple genders. In fact, it is an endless list, and you can uh, move from one to the other. And it is wrong, we're being told, to say that a person must be male or female, even though biology... Frames that very differently. Um, but we're told that we can't uh, say that a person must be male or female. We can't say uh, how a person should act or what a person should be. And to say those things is an infringement on their right to be what they want to be, to do what they want to do, to act how they want to act. And what we're seeing, again, in this idea of cancel culture, is that if you say something, if your words say something or communicate something contrary to the popular narrative, then you must be canceled. Now, what does it mean to be canceled? It means that you will be silenced to the extent that people out there can silence you. We see this happening on social media. Those who express their opinions, their thoughts, their beliefs on social media. It's the written word in that it has been typed, but it reflects the spoken word. A person, an individual, says something, but that something goes against the narrative. Those who maintain order and discipline on these social media platforms, as they interpret order and discipline, will cancel that person. They'll say, you no longer have a voice here. This has been the conversation, the fight that has been had over social media. We've had experts on who have talked about uh, platforms like Facebook and Twitter being the modern day public square. This is where people go to express their opinions. And to stifle those opinions really is to infringe upon their First Amendment rights. It's preventing people from saying what they want to say. Uh, other examples that we could see, but the cancel culture uh, idea, idea, idea or ideology certain re- certainly reflects this understanding. Um, this is happening in so many different places, uh, but the restricting of free speech. Now, why is it so important that we have discussions like this, that we understand where we're coming from, and that we ask the question, is there a limit on free speech? Uh, One of the the problems that I have, one of the challenges that I have with a lot of people with whom I agree. (laughs) So these aren't people that I disagree with or people that I would say they don't know what they're talking about. There are a lot of people that I agree with. If you went to my Instagram uh, feed and you went to my profile and then you looked at who I follow, um, I follow a lot of people that I agree with. And yet, Even though I agree with them, I disagree with how they communicate their message. This is one of those areas. There are a lot of people that scream about cancel culture, that scream about the First Amendment, that scream about freedom of speech, and yet give zero historical context, and they don't ask questions, nor do they address the questions that are being asked by people that want to stifle free speech. We need to know not only why we believe what we believe, But where that came from, what the original intent was, how that applies in a culture that has changed so much since these amendments were written, and then do our best to answer questions from sincere seekers. I don't ever want to be told or be accused of being uninterested in people who are asking real questions. There are people that don't agree with me on many, many issues but that would ask real questions because they're really trying to understand we need to do our best to address those. This is one of those areas. Freedom of speech. We talk about free speech. What do we mean when we're talking about this and where does it come from? Uh, I want to begin by reading um, this article um, on James Madison. We're going to talk about James Madison, an incredible figure in history, very interesting figure in history. And then we're going to look at a couple of examples of free speech being stifled, (laughs) and the natural outcome of that. What does that look like when it happens? Let's begin um, here. This is an article entitled uh, James Madison's Lessons on Free Speech from National Review. Uh, This is from a few years ago. But man, it is so important that we go back to our founders and ask, what did they mean when they talked about these things? I want to begin reading this article. It's written by Jay Cost. Um, I don't know much about Jay, but I found this this very, very interesting. So speaking of uh, James Madison, um, here we go. For the people to rule wisely, they must be free to think and speak without fear of reprisal. That's the quote that begins this article. For the people to rule wisely... Now, think about this. For the people to rule wisely, they must be free to think and speak without fear of reprisal. That is, think and speak. Think. Now, so far, thinking has not been restricted, although some have said that even thinking should be restricted. We can look at other countries uh, where uh, someone expressing what they simply think can incur reprisal. James Madison and the other founders understood coming out of a system that was very oppressive, a monarch who controlled everything, who would bring a reprisal against them if they said something contrary to uh, his policy as king, as ruler. That's in many ways what the Revolutionary War was fought over. And they understood that in order for people to rule wisely, why is this connected Well, you need to be able to think and speak without fear of reprisal, because if you have a fear that someone will do something based on what you think or speak, then you will limit how you think and how you speak. We need wise leaders. We need leaders who are not concerned about the masses, who are not concerned about what other people will say about them, but are concerned about making the right decision, the best decision, and the decision that best represents those that they are Um, ruling over or leading. We've talked about this a lot, but really, when we talk about our representatives, they are to represent us. Uh, We use phrases like rule over, I guess, and that's not appropriate in the sense that they are there to represent us, to represent our interests, politically speaking. But in order to do that wisely, they need to be able to think and speak without fear of reprisal. Let me read some of this article to you. Fascinating. The broad middle of this country seems caught between a rock and a hard place on the far left the antifa movement has taken to protesting often quite violently ideas that do not conform to their transitory notions of social justice uh, i could spend a lot of time <laughs> a lot of time there but antifa they talk about social justice they talk about liberty and all of these ideals and yet they violently do what they must do to silence people who oppose them uh, on the other extreme the article continues the alt-right has become indistinguishable from white supremacists, supremacists and neo-Confederate movements that have their origins in the seedy underbelly of American political history. Um, before I continue reading, I caution any of us uh, to be very careful with labels that are put on people. Um, a, uh, someone in the alt-right, that, that means something, but not everyone that disagrees agrees with you is All right. All right. So let's throw that out there. Not everyone in the world is a Nazi if they disagree with you or a white supremacist. That's what many people are telling us. Uh, not the case. But the point that's being made here is we see two extremes where freedom of speech has engendered something that's become dangerous. Uh, He continues his article. In light of this, it is seductive to question the utility of free speech. See, he's making this point here. Uh, We see the extremes of free speech. We see what people do with free speech. And that causes many to say, hey, maybe we should limit speech. It wouldn't be free anymore. Continuing. After all, speech is not entirely free in Europe. There are certain views you are prohibited from publicly expressing there. And they seem to have well-functioning democracies. Why must we hold to such an absolutist view? Are we not giving aid and comfort to the opponents of the republic by allowing them to utter such vile words? Is it not wiser to leaven the First Amendment with a prudent disregard for the fringes? If we understand free speech in purely liberal terms, that is, as a self-evident right, then these questions seem to have merit. After all, we restrict the rights for the sake of the public welfare. Most of them can be taken away so long as it is done so with due process. And the process that is due in many respects is conditioned by the political, social, and economic climate of the day. Why not speech? But the First Amendment is not merely an expression of liberal freedom, but of Republican freedom as well. The liberal conception of liberty defines it as absence of government interference from your life. I want to pause here for a second because we've expressed this or talked about this many times on this show. Here's what he said. The liberal conception of liberty defines it as absence of government interference from your life. This is an important point to make. Again, going back to definitions when we talk about liberalism, most of the time we're referring to what would now be called classical liberalism. That's what he's talking about. It's this idea that the government should be very limited and should have limited access to our lives. Now, what we call liberal today means something very different. But going back to the notion or what he calls the conception of uh, the liberal ideology defines liberalism as absence of government interference from your life. Uh, So I'll continue reading here, but we needed to stop and, and address that. Or, in its 20th century evolution, I'm continuing to read, liberty means that the government provides for a certain standard of living. So he's comparing the two. But the Republican notion of liberty is different. A free republic is one in which people are governed by the laws that they themselves have had a hand in making. From this perspective, Freedom of speech needs to remain nearly absolute. Uh, That is such an important and well-made point. I'm going to say it again. I'm I'm quoting from this article. A free republic is one in which people are governed by the laws that they themselves have a hand in making. From this perspective, freedom of speech needs to remain nearly absolute. Um, We're going to get into this. As it relates to our founders here in just a second, he continues in his article. But that point, it has to be made and remade and reiterated. Why is freedom of speech so important? Because in a free republic, people are governed by the laws that they have a hand in making. This is why, as Americans, we're so against the notion of tyrants We talk about tyrants a lot. We talk about despotism a lot. We talk about uh, an out-of-control political system, an out-of-control government. We talk about these things all of the time. Why? Because when we go back to our birth, to our roots, to our founding, that's what we were responding to. Uh, This idea of taxation without representation. This was the idea that Americans were being held to a standard that they had no, no opportunity to help form. They didn't have input into this. There was no representation. They were being taxed. They were being controlled by someone outside of even their geographic sphere. So when we talk about a free republic, and again, the United States is not a pure democracy. It's a democratic republic. A free republic means that we are being governed by people who represent us. They are representing us. And they are representing us by ensuring that the laws we've had a hand in administering and creating are being upheld. And so, in order to do that, free speech must be held as a nearly, he says nearly, absolute right. He goes on in this article, and it's great. To appreciate this, consider the efforts of the man most responsible for the Bill of Rights, James Madison. Madison was not so much the author of the Bill of Rights, but its editor. He was initially opposed to the project. The structure of the Constitution offered sufficient protection for civil liberty. He thought and he feared that an enumeration of rights would imply a limitation to them. But the ratifying conventions in many states had approved the Constitution with suggested revisions. Madison, who viewed these conventions as tribunes of the popular will, took their recommendations seriously. As George Washington's de facto prime minister during the first session of the first Congress, he refined the wide array of proposals into what ultimately became the Bill of Rights. Uh, This is not an episode exclusively on the Bill of Rights, but uh, don't miss what happened here. The Constitution was written. It was sent to the states for ratification. That means each state had to sign off on this being the document that we as a country were going to use to govern us. And this meant so many things. Uh, it meant creating a government, creating um, those who would represent us in government, politicians, and a political system. It meant standing on our own and pushing back against tyrant tyrants uh, like what was happening during the Revolutionary War. This is what that represented. And what we realized, and what was just said, is that as the States went through the process of ratifying this document, this legal document that was supposed to establish for us our rights as Americans in this new country. They did so, they ratified it, they signed off on it with some notes. We want to make sure that certain rights are protected. This is the point of the United States Constitution. The United States Constitution was written to protect the rights of citizens. Uh, That is upside down from how many people think about the role of government. You see, many people think that government gives rights to the people. We're going to talk about this more in the next episode when I talk about religious liberty. Uh, But we often are told that the government gives rights to the people, gives rights to citizens. But the Constitution was written the other way around. The Constitution was written to protect the rights of. Of the citizens, not to give or grant rights. And states, as they consider the Constitution, said this is a great document, it's amazing, and it is amazing. We will sign off on it as a governing document. But there are a few other things we want to ensure are actually protected. We want them enumerated, we want them called out, not just implied in the Constitution. Uh, this is important. Uh, every season, and we've just come through one of those seasons, the Supreme Court, here's cases. Our United States Supreme Court, they're supposed to govern or uh, not, eat, not govern, really, but decide law based on the Constitution. They do govern in many cases, and uh, I guess we become accustomed to it. They're not supposed to govern. They're supposed to make decisions based on the Constitution. The Constitution, they read, and they extract from that what they believe it says, and then apply that to what's happening, whatever case is before them. Well, there's so much room for interpretation, and we see that happening. That's where the arguments and the discussions happen in front of the Supreme Court. That's why the states very wisely said, there are a few things we want called out. We don't want there to be any misunderstanding or any way that a person could twist this or change it. And one of those things is the freedom of speech. I'm coming back to the article now. (laughs) Uh, Man, so many great points. Uh, we continue in the federalist papers madison can come across as deeply suspicious of popular government in federalist number 10 he bemoaned the violence of faction and sought to design a government that can corral the inherently selfish passions of humanity in federalist number 51 he added checks and balances as auxiliary precautions to further thwart misrule yet this is only one side of the madison coin Admittedly, he wanted to slow the tempo of government down to a crawl to prevent factious majorities from railroading minority rights and undermining the public welfare. But he also hoped to promote a robust intercourse of sentiments so that in due course, public opinion would cohere around principles of justice and the general welfare. Government had to move slowly and cautiously, but public discourse should be vigorous and unfettered. Public opinion, he wrote in the National Gazette in December 1791, sets bounds to every government and is the real sovereign in every free one. I'm going to say that again. I'm reading again from the article. This is quoted from James Madison. Public opinion, he, that's James Madison, wrote in the National Gazette in December 1791, sets bounds to every government and is the real sovereign in every free one. But in a large republic such as the United States, it is less easy to be ascertained and less difficult to be counterfeited. It was thus key, he argued, to facilitate a general intercourse of sentiments, which included roads and commerce as well as a free press and particularly a circulation of newspapers throughout the entire body of the people. In Madison's view, a free republic depends ultimately upon public opinion. A constitution could divide power this way and that, but in the end, it is the people and only the people who rule. And for the people to rule wisely, they have to be able to communicate with one another freely without fear of reprisal. Thus, freedom of speech and press were not, for Madison, merely God given rights, they were preconditions for self government. What an incredible, incredible perspective. Preconditions. Self government. In order for rulers to rule wisely, our representatives that we elect to go to Washington and represent us, in order for them to rule wisely, there must be freedom of speech and of thought without fear of reprisal. And this was fundamental to James Madison's understanding of how a free society, a free republic, could function. Now, why do I spend so much time on that? Because we have so many people that are cautioning, in, in fact, many who are taking even legal action, to prevent free speech. And the idea that words can cause harm if they are in disagreement with someone else and yet, if we don't have the ability to speak freely, to think to think thoughts that others may not like, and then speak those freely, what do we have? We have a dictatorship. It, it is really a dictatorship of the mob. It's mob rule. It's groupthink. It's getting everyone on the same page, uh, disseminating, getting rid of, uh, destroying dissenters, and making sure that the only voice that is heard is the voice of the elite. If we remove free speech, we haven't replaced our government with a king, one person, but with a group of people who act as a king. Free speech is how we as citizens express ourselves. It's how we as citizens help to form or formulate the type of government, the laws that we have, and how those laws are executed. When a Democratic Republic is functioning. Uh, There will be a lot of people in that country who aren't happy with how things are going, (laughs) but they will have a voice in exactly what happens. Again, so many different areas we could go. We could talk about elections and election reform and how we maintain the integrity of our elections. Uh, We could talk about term limits for those that we send to represent us to the government. We we could talk about all of these things, and all these things are important conversations to have. But when there is an attempt to stifle speech, we have moved into very, very dangerous ground. Now, what is the natural outcome of trying to stifle speech? We could think about this in so many different ways, but I want to read to you a, a brief article from the Christian Post. This is on um, Salman Rushdie. Maybe you are familiar with Salman Rushdie and some of his writings. He was attacked this last week. I want to read some of this from the Christian Post. British author Sir Salman Rushdie, who spent nearly a decade in hiding after the Iranian leader called for his murder over his book, The Satanic Verses, was stabbed 15 times at a theater in New York Friday, allegedly by a 24 year old Shia Muslim. The 75-year-old author is on a ventilator and could lose an eye, his agent said. Rushdie, who was taken by helicopter to a hospital in Pennsylvania after he was stabbed in the abdomen and the neck while he was on the stage of Chautauqua Institution for a discussion, will likely lose an eye. The nerves of his arm were severed and his liver was stabbed and damaged, the BBC reported, citing his agent Andrew Wiley. Um, Continue. I just want to read through this briefly, so I'm going to jump around a little bit. Reese, 73, also suffered, this is his agent, also suffered injuries to his face and was treated and released from a hospital. But Rushdie was still unable to speak as of early Saturday because he remains on a ventilator. Um, It took five men, this is a quote, it took five men to pull him away and he was still stabbing. Linda Abrams, an onlooker who was quoted as saying, he was just furious, furious, like intensely strong and just fast. Sir Salman Rushdie was attacked and nearly killed by someone who disagreed with what he had said, what he had written. Um, I go to the Wikipedia page talking about Salman Rushdie, um, it, it explains really some of what he's written and why there were people that disagreed with him. Um, This is from, as I mentioned, the Wikipedia page. Uh, It's called The Satanic Verses and the Fatwa. So this is explaining what this uh, young man who tried to kill him was upset about. The publication of The Satanic Verses, this is a book that Rushdie wrote, in September 1988 caused immediate controversy in the Islamic world because of what was seen by some to be an irreverent depiction of Muhammad, The title refers to a disputed Muslim tradition that is related in the book. According to this tradition, Muhammad added verses to the Quran, accepting three Arabian pagan goddesses who used to be worshipped in Mecca as divine beings. According to the legend, Muhammad later revoked the verses, saying the devil tempted him to utter these lines to appease uh, the Meccans, hence the satanic verses. However, the narrator reveals to the reader that these disputed verses were actually from the mouth of the archangel Gabriel, The book was banned in many countries with large Muslim communities, 13 in total, and those are listed. In response to the protests on January 22, 1989, Rushdie published a column in The Observer that called Muhammad one of the greatest geniuses of world history, but noted that Islamic doctrine holds Muhammad to be human and in no way perfect. He held that the novel is not an anti-religious novel. It is, however, an attempt to write about migration, its stresses, and transformations. On 14 February 1989, Valentine's Day, and also the day of his close friend Bruce Chatwin's funeral, a fatwa ordering Rushdie's execution was proclaimed on Radio Tehran by Ayatollah Khomeini, the supreme leader of Iran at the time calling the book blasphemous against Islam. Now, this is not the first time we've seen um, uh, even murder take place because of what was written about Islam or spoken about Islam. And certainly, as we look to what Rushdie wrote, it's interesting because he wrote a novel that did not cast the Islamic world in the light, (laughs) and Muhammad specifically in the light uh, that those in the Muslim world, particularly Ayatollah Khomeini, would like but he made a very clear statement that this was not intended to be negative, that he considered Muhammad one of the greatest geniuses in the world, but noted that even Islamic doctrine holds that Muhammad was human. So he wrote a book that was not received well. He made a statement to try to clarify what he meant, and the response was a death threat, a fatwa, in fact, an order to murder Rushdie. That was in 1989. He's been in hiding Many years since, there are articles written talking about where he's been and what he's done. He came to the United States as a way to get away from much of that persecution. And this many years later, from 1989 until now, someone did indeed try to carry out that thought while I tried to murder him. Now, why do we bring that up? One, because it is very recent. Um, in fact, I heard this morning that uh, he is speaking again. He's coherent. He's going to be, he'll, he'll recover. The injuries will still be there, um, but he will recover. But this is the other side of trying to silence speech that we disagree with. It, it's the natural conclusion. We could see this throughout history. There are many, many examples of free speech at once being stifled simply by saying you're not allowed to say that, people being canceled, Uh, those in the press and other people being told they can think what they want, but they need to keep it to themselves, that continuing down a slow downward spiral into the murder of many millions of folks over time, I'm not saying that's always what happens, but when we look at Restricting freedom of speech, that is the natural decline and the natural slide. Uh, Salman Rushdie is someone who wrote something, held to what he wrote with explanation, and was nearly murdered because of it. Uh, Another article, this one is also from the Christian Post. You're next. J.K. Rowling receives death threat after showing support for Salman Rushdie. Uh, This is such a fascinating thing. Uh, J.K. Rowling, of course, is the author of the Harry Potter series. Um, When I was a kid growing up in a very conservative Christian home, (laughs) we were not allowed to uh, read the Harry Potter series. In fact, we were told there's a lot of witchcraft and so forth in there. J.K. Rowling was not a friend to Christians. This is um, the conversation that was had in my home and community growing up. J.K. Rowling, someone that has been held up for her views, for her ability to express herself well, for her backing of the First Amendment and free speech, recently has taken a lot of heat from those in the trans community because of some of her comments there. It's so crazy how when you get into the restriction of free speech or trying to align speech, those who were once your allies and friends stand up against you Here's the article. British author and philanthropist J.K. Rowling, who wrote the Harry Potter series, received a death threat allegedly from an Iran-backing extremist after she expressed support for author Salman Rushdie, who was stabbed in New York Friday before giving a lecture. Don't worry, you are next, a Twitter user named Mir Asif Aziz wrote as a comment on Rowling's tweet following the knife attack on Rushdie, which read, Horrifying news feel very sick right now, let him be okay. That was her tweet. Horrifying news. He had been stabbed nearly to death. Horrifying news. Feeling very sick right now. Let him be okay. I don't want to put words in her mouth. I don't know what she was thinking. I don't know why she was feeling this way. But J.K. Rowling is a very public figure who's said some things that has taken a lot of heat because people didn't like what she said. She's held her ground. She not only is an author, but she's a speaker. She, in many ways, would reflect uh, the comings and goings, the lifestyle and the background of Salman Rushdie. And in response to him being stabbed nearly to death, said, horrifying news, which it was, (laughs) feeling very sick right now, let him be okay. And the response to that statement, her expressing concern, was that, don't worry, you're next. I could continue reading this article and I won't. Um, But what we see is that when we begin saying this speech is okay and that speech is not okay, eventually we have to enforce the limitations on speech that we decide need to be in place. And the natural outcome of that is not only stifling speech, it's imprisoning people who speak against the norm, speak against the mob, speak against the collective, and ultimately it is removing those voices. So when we talk about free speech and the importance of free speech, we must understand that our founders viewed free speech as the foundation for a free republic. It's only as people can express their ideas freely and not believe that the government will come against them or that another group will come against them or that someone will take their life. Only when we can express what we think and believe freely can we truly be free. Only when the populace can express freely how they think and how they feel and what they want to see happen can those who are sent to govern govern wisely and govern well. Only then when they know what those who they represent think can they govern well. Learn more at MightyOaksPrograms.org. We have to ask the question, and I think it's a valid question. <laughs> are there, then, any restrictions on free speech? The answer, of course, is yes. We know that there are. Even as we uphold free speech, there are types of speech that are limited. Libelous speech, saying things that are untrue about people in a public forum, uh, is not accepted. Uh, hurtful speech, a speech that would incite harm against another person is not accepted. You can't yell fire in a crowded theater if there is no fire because of the potential harm. Some speech very carefully is restricted. But the free expression of thought, the ability for those in the press to write and say what is true, and the voice of the common man and woman, the common citizen, to speak what they think, and how they feel has always been protected. And when we begin to desire to restrict speech and then take action to restrict speech, we are on very dangerous ground. As James Madison said, how important these words are. For the people to rule wisely, they must be free to think and speak without fear of reprisal. I hope that is a, a, helpful, um, a helpful background and context. We want to be careful, and I, I think this is what a lot of us struggle with. We want to be careful. We tell our kids not to say things that are mean and not to say things that are harmful to people. We shouldn't say things intentionally that are hurtful or harmful to people. Uh, But there needs to be a certain amount of acceptance (laughs) of hurt and harm in words so that we can maintain the liberty that we have. Let the words that are true, let the words that are just and the words that are right and the words that are kind be so loud that the others are not heard. Uh, Let's not gather around those who speak harm and speak hurt. This is one of the problems we've had with social media. It's hurt and harm that get the most uh, attention. Let's not respond to those, but let us always protect the right. And as we get into our next conversation about religious liberty, uh, I would say the God-given right to freely express what we think and what we feel. What an important insight that was given to us in the First Amendment, the United States Constitution. Thank you again for listening. Really appreciate it. If you're not yet subscribed to this podcast, please subscribe. And I know there are a lot of other places that you can go to listen, to receive content and information. And uh, I'm thankful that you spend this time with us. I really am uh, very humbled by our audience and appreciate you joining us. And our goal (laughs) is to provide the type of content that would be helpful to you. It's not my goal, even a little bit, uh, to just say things that everyone else is saying Uh, We have this conversation a lot here. Uh, I I want to provide content that is helpful. If it's giving you perspective, it's giving you information. um, I'm not saying any of it's perfect, but we bring great guests on that can help us break these things down. Uh, We have these conversations and it's all intended to be a help to you. So please go ahead, subscribe if you're not yet subscribed, share this content out with others in your world and in your life uh, that you know would be helped by it. And look forward to talking to you next time.